and welcome, Hoosier fans, to another midweek, uh, late morning edition of the Assembly Call as we, uh, you know, feels like there's a lot to talk about. So we just decided to have a show and talk about all the latest that is going on with Indiana basketball. I'm your host, Jared Morris. I'm here with the coach, Brian Tonsoni. Uh, and we just wanted to kind of take stock of where we are. You know, we obviously talked with you guys last Thursday for Assembly Call Radio and had a special edition the Monday prior to that when we got the, the unexpected news that Archie Miller was fired. Uh, and now, you know, a lot has, it feels like a lot has happened, but a lot hasn't really happened. There's just been a lot of kind of talk and chatter and rumor and innuendo and all that stuff uh, in, you know, in the time in between. But still enough, it feels like to hop on here and talk and answer some of your questions. So that's what we want to do. Um, and I want to start off this episode as we start episode, or every episode, and that is with our Who's Your Proud Banner moment. And for me, you know, the banner moment is, is pretty obvious. And it's not one moment. It's all of the passion and enthusiasm that we've seen since Archie Miller was fired. You know, it, we all know this program is struggling. This program is not where we want it to be. Uh, if you just look at results over the past 15 to 20 years, this program might be fifth, sixth, seventh somewhere in the Big Ten. You know, it's, it's not, for those of us who grew up with Indiana, you know, at the top, it's not what we have expected. But what keeps this program special, and the reason why I think a lot of people still think that Indiana basketball is a sleeping giant, and then it always feels like we're you know one right coaching decision away from getting back to where we feel like we are, is the tradition, of course, but also just the fervent fan support that we still have that keeps everything afloat, that keeps the university wanting to, to put resources into the basketball program, that keeps the Indiana name out there. Um, and so it's been really good to see because, boy, the apathy at the end of the season was really starting to get concerning. I think that's one of the main reasons why Scott Dolson had to make the move that he did. And so seeing the passion and the enthusiasm and everybody talking about Indiana basketball has been awesome because it's a reminder of kind of what is laying dormant here and what just needs some consistent winning to unleash. But I do want to say, and I want this to, to coach lead us into our first discussion topic today, is... As great as that passion is and as great as that enthusiasm it is, is it is a bit of a double-edged sword. And one of the things that is concerning me a little bit as we kind of go through this coaching search and kind of see the way that people are reacting to it, you know, the Brad Stevens stuff, that was its own thing. You know, we all got excited about that. It's really difficult to know how much of that was real, how much of it wasn't. You know, we certainly got excited talking about it. We all did, you know, and it was a big you know, rise, a big crescendo of enthusiasm. And then, you know, it was, it was a letdown and that's fine. To a certain extent, I feel like we kind of needed to get the Brad Stevens stuff out of our system and go through that. That doesn't really concern me. That was pretty much always going to happen if Brad Stevens was being talked about as a candidate. What has concerned me since then is what to me, I perceive as kind of a lack of humility with the way that people are looking at the coaching search and a fear that we haven't really learned any type of lesson from what we should have learned from the Archie Miller hire, which is that we all, and even national media people, don't really have a clue whether this stuff is going to work out or not. You know, you can hire the guy that seems on paper to be a great candidate, and he comes in, you have, you know, writers who are really plugged in on this stuff, basically telling you there's no way this could fail, and it fails. And you have hires that don't make a big splash when they happen, but they end up being, you know, big successes. And so, you know, what I see with a lot of the discussion around the names that come up from the coaching search is some knee-jerk reactions, you know, either in the positive or the negative, but not taking enough time to try and get a full nuanced view of each candidate. Because the truth is, each, all the candidates that we're talking about are really good coaches, have had success. 
There are reasons why they might succeed and there are reasons why they might fail. And it's perfectly fair for all of us to have our own ranking, our own priority list for all of these coaches. But this notion that one guy is a slam dunk and you know one guy is just a completely ridiculous option that is a, a lazy choice and I'm going to bring out the pitchforks if he's hired and I'm not going to support... I mean, that kind of stuff is ridiculous. And so I just... If I can do anything with these first few minutes of the show, it's to just issue a rallying cry for all of us that... There's a guy in charge of the search who I think has earned some of our trust. You know, he hasn't been on the job that long, but the stuff he's done has earned some of our trust. And instead of immediately jumping to the knee-jerk negative reaction to candidates that we don't like, let's take some time and consider why they might be candidates in the first place. And let's all resolve that whoever the guy is, just because it's not the coach that you want, the notion that you're going to stop supporting IU basketball is insanity. And I've seen some of that. And I get it's the fringe. And I don't think a lot of the people who listen to this show are probably thinking that way. But I just want this to be kind of a rallying call to all of us that let's be in this together. Let's give all these candidates a fair shake. Let's be discerning with what we put out there in the public about good coaches who are candidates for this job. And let's support whoever the ultimate guy is, because whoever the ultimate guy is, is going to be a good coach with an upside to make this work, whether you want to see it or not. So that's my point. And we'll get into talking about some of these candidates, but that's just... It's really been bothering me the last few days seeing that. And I want to make sure that as a fan base, we approach the rest of this coaching search with just a little bit better, more productive mindset, especially if we're going to be talking about it in public. So that's that's what... And look, I see that dude. He says, this is about Woodson. Yeah, some of it is a little bit about Mike Woodson. And I think you guys saw the article that I wrote. You know, I'm not here advocating for Mike Woodson to be the coach. But what I see with the discussion around Mike Woodson is a knee-jerk reaction that he can't do the job or he's a terrible hire, and I'm trying to would, would be a terrible hire, and I'm trying to bring some balance to that by saying, well, have you considered this, this, and this? That's it. You know, let's give all these guys a fair shake. So <clears throat> that's my main point. I want to start it off by saying that. Um, and now let's... Coach, I'll kick it over to you and get your reaction to that. Yeah, the, it, it's just been an interesting week, um, starting, you know, with the, the Brad Stevens uh, stuff. And... and we really don't know. I think that's the best point that you made. We really don't know what's going on. The athletic department has done a really good job of trying to keep this as secretive as possible, and you need to uh, in order to do do a good job. The thing that I would caution everyone, it's not a uh, one choice and then that's yes or no, and then you go down to the next choice, yes or no. Th this is working uh, a bunch of candidates uh, out and thinking and interviewing a bunch of people and yes, there are there is a hierarchy. Maybe you do offer it to Brad Stevens, and then when he says no, you you then proceed to to step two or three. But uh, at this point of the coaching search, there there are four or five uh, candidates uh, being vetted uh, by Scott Dolson and whoever else is involved with that. The thing I would caution people to is, you know, be careful watching the NCAA tournament, and every time a team wins, you throw the name out. That that adds to the national perception of of us good fans being a little bit crazy. You know, uh, USC wins by 30 and Andy Enfield's name flies out. The, Scott Dolson's doing his job. He has the type of guy that he wants, uh, whether that's an IU guy, an NBA guy, a college guy. He, he had four or five names ready to go when he fired Archie. And what's happening now in the NCAA tournament, I think that kind of stuff hurts our brand. Um, and, and I know it's just well-intentioned and it's kind of fun and it's kind of uh, goofy to do that on social media. Um, but you know, we got to be careful of that. We get mad at, at Goodman and everyone else for, for trolling on IU fan base and we feed it, um, by say, by 
you know, trying to participate in, in guessing who the next coach is. And, and so I would ask for patience and the fact to understand that you don't know, um, what, what's, what's going on. And then I would echo your support that, um, you know, whoever the coach is, whether it's my number one choice or number five choice or wasn't on there, I'm, I'm going to be doing the show next year and I'm going to be supporting Indiana basketball. And maybe we do that to a fault and are called fanboys and all that, but I wear that badge proudly. I'm an Indiana University uh, graduate. I'm proud of it. I'm going to like whoever's come in. And when it's time for a change, I was late for that call um, this year. I was late and I was wrong on Archie, but um, I- I'm so pro Indiana and I would encourage everyone to do that. I think that's a fan's responsibility to help bring this back too, you know, we, we demand coaching. We demand that it be an IU guy or an IU fit, but we also got to do our part um, to be as best we can as a fan base to eliminate um, that perception that I think is wrong for about 80, 85, 90% of the fans, uh, but it is a major perception out there. We have breaking news coach. I don't know if you've been checking over here in the, in the chat, I've got some, some texts coming in. Uh, so this is coming from Verbal Commits on Twitter that Armand Franklin has entered the transfer portal. Um, I think I speak on behalf of everybody when I say that this is disappointing news, but certainly not surprising news given the uncertainty right now about what's going on with Indiana basketball for a guy who is going to have a lot of options. Now, I think we should note right off the bat, it's not like it says he's transferring somewhere, so he's in the portal. Um, he's looking for options. Um, and we'll see, you know, uh, I think, you know, if you've listened to any of the, the interviews that Armand's mom and that Armand have given, you know, in various places where they've talked, they are about as savvy of a basketball family as you will find, you know, Armand's aunt is the coach at Notre Dame. Uh, this is a basketball family. And so I think, frankly, I think it's given, (laughs) given what he's gone through for two years, given the uncertainty of the program right now, given the fact that he can go play somewhere without sitting out. I actually think this is the smart thing for him to do and put keep his options open. He doesn't need to sit here and be held hostage by a coaching search that he probably doesn't know when it's going to end. So as far as I'm concerned, you all know, and I think we all want Armand back more than anything. He is a building block for the future of this program, but he's got the option to do this. I salute him for doing it. I hope when he goes out there and looks that he ends up realizing that Indiana is the best place and whoever the coach's name can sell him on his vision uh, and that we bring him back because I think I think Indiana can be good as soon as next season if you get the right coach in here. And Armand is going to be a big reason for that if he's back. So that's my thoughts on that. We obviously can't say a ton more about it because we don't know anything more about it. But assuming that that report is is true, um, that, that's that's kind of how I feel about it. I'm assuming you probably feel the same way, Coach. Absolutely. Armand's got to do what's best for, for, for Armand. And, and, you know, I, I think it's, um, it's to the point where he has three years left. If he wants to, why not see, uh, if there's somebody out there that really wants you to come in, uh, and coach. Uh, And I think it also is vital for Scott Dolson to make a move here soon, um, to maybe get a coach in, to have a conversation and try to win him back, uh, would be, uh, maybe a number one job for, for the new coach. And, and then again, for all of us, this was bound to happen. Um, it, it happened, it happens at almost every place with the free year uh, of transferring. This is the problem with, uh, making a necessary coaching change. Uh, but part of the risk in making that coaching change in a year where you have that, that, that free transfer is it's a very easy transfer. Uh, we saw that Indiana state six guys, uh, left. So there's going to be a lot of programs with new coaches that are really going to have, new starts. It was one of the fears that I had when we were discussing whether there should be a move or not. 
um, you know, a, a kid like Jordan Geronimo uh, might find his way in a similar situation. You can get recruited again, and you have a free year. Um, that that is just a dangerous time. Again, I I'm on board with the change in coaching. I think it needed to happen uh, to to go forward um, for a variety of reasons. But that we're starting to see now the risk uh, of doing that um, with the uh, with the announcement of Armand Franklin uh, leaving or potentially leaving the program. Yeah, yeah, and just let's. I just want to caution everybody. Don't say Armand is leaving. He entered the transfer portal. That's it. So he hasn't made any decision. Nothing. And it's smart. Again, like I said, I think a lot of guys should enter the transfer portal and talk to other other programs. That is a that's a smart decision. Um I, I coach, I want to push back on one thing that you said. You see Armand enter the transfer portal. This is a guy that we have grown to love and that we appreciate and we want him back. If I were Scott Dolson, if Scott Dolson were foolish enough to call me up and talk to me about anything, and he's like, okay, how should I how should I respond? You know, Armand's in the transfer portal. I would say keep doing what you're doing. If you think that it's going to take another eight weeks to find the right coach, like I love Armand. I love Christian Lander. I love Jordan Geronimo. I love start going down the roster. Like I like these guys. I want to have them back. No player, and frankly, no combination of players is more important than getting the coach right. You know, and Scott Dolson has to view this from the perspective of what's right for Indiana basketball for the future. And that's to get the coach right. And so that's the only thing that I would say is I would not let this change my timetable at all. And even if the whole roster enters the transfer portal, I think you got to just kind of suck that up and say, we're making this decision for the next 15 years, hopefully, not just next year. And besides, it goes both ways. You know, all the all the players from our team can transfer, but other guys can transfer too, you know, and you're seeing with guys like Eric Musselman and others that you can come in and turn a program around really quickly. So I, I get that kind of knee jerk, like, man, I want to get a coach in here right now. And for, and for their sake, I do want this to end soon so that they're, they don't have that uncertainty. But we have no idea what Scott Dolson's timetable is, and I would just tell him to stick with the timetable that he's got, that he's on. Absolutely agree. But, but my point is, if you've had four or five guys since Monday – and you've gone through that process, and you started supposedly interviewing people. Um, unless everyone's saying no, and you need to extend it a little bit more, you probably should have your guy here in the next week or two, I would think. Uh, unless the top five guys on your list all kind of have um, – you either found something out about them or they've said no, and you got to restart again. Yes, then I would say with you, it is vital. I agree with you. You need the right coach more than making sure you hire someone today to counter uh, what we just heard. <clears throat> but I do – I do worry. I mean, Fred Hoiberg's been at Nebraska for two years, and people have gone in and out of that program, and Fred Hoiberg's a pretty good coach. Um, I know we, we might be further down the line, uh, and, and we might be able to get some transfers in, and your Musselman uh, conversations, right, with the right coach and the right attitude of bringing in transfers, uh, that can be done uh, and can be done quickly. Uh, so it's not either or. Um, it's just uh, be prepared for – you know, some roster changes and hopefully the roster changes, like you said, the, the those coming in will offset those that, that leave. Um, but that's going to be part of this process. Yeah. And I also, I'm not predicting anything. I have no inside information on this, just to be clear. I would not be surprised if you see a flurry of this from IU players, because a lot of times when you see player, a player from one program going to the transfer portal, you'll see a few happen at a time, which makes total sense because they're probably all talking, you know, and, and maybe Armand and, and guys have had conversation. He's like, well, I'm going to do it to see my options. And so, 
you know, another guy kind of says the same thing. So if you see a flurry of these, it may happen. It's just the longer this goes on, it's inevitable. Now, what I want to talk about, Coach, you know, we talk about how long this is going on, right? And so, you know, we've talked about names. John Beeline has been a name that's been talked about for a while. Chris Beard has been a name that's been talked about for a while. They finally, you know, lost in the tournament. Mike Woodson is a name that we've heard talked about. There's other guys. The Thad Mata was obviously another one. The longer this goes on, doesn't it seem to you like it becomes more and more likely that the ultimate coach is going to be someone where, that we haven't really talked about yet? Because, and look, I think there are reasons why Scott Dolson might be really patient here and still end up with John Beeline. You know, he may have had a conversation with John Beeline about, look, we really like you. We have a couple other options that we want to pursue. If John Beeline really wants the IU job, he might be willing to be patient. You can absolutely construct a narrative where this could go on for three, four weeks and you still end up with John Beeline or you still end up with Mike Woodson. But boy, it starts to get a little bit more likely with each passing day that it's somebody else, whether it's somebody that's still coaching, you know, that you had to wait on, you know, or whether there's just other details kind of in the background that, that we don't know. And that, again, I guess when I talk about viewing the coaching search with humility, you know, we all got out over our skis a little bit, it feels like, with some of the Steven stuff. Even if we didn't get out over our skis with, with some of the information, certainly kind of with the enthusiasm and, and some of that stuff, and I raise my hand as being guilty as charged there. So I just think we, you know, we want to be careful you know, with how we approach some of the rest of these and kind of be open to the possibility that it might end up being a name that we're not even talking about. And that really, it would obviously surprise me because it would be a name that we're not talking about, but the longer it goes, that possibility generally would not surprise me. Yeah, and I I think this was a this has been a work in progress for several weeks for Scott Dolson. Uh, he probably was back channeling some names before he made the decision, or at least he maybe should have been back channeling some names. Uh, I think he knows he has to get it right, and so I think the timing is very important uh, that he takes his time, looks at a variety of candidates, and that's where us fans we jump to the top of the list, the wish list. Uh, immediately, the hot names, the Stevens, the Beards, um, those things immediately. And we probably don't know that there's some other guys that fit whatever Dolson was looking for that aren't on our radar. Uh, you said it on the show last Thursday to temper the enthusiasm, make sure we're not uh, setting ourselves up for, for the top two. And then we, we find out a name that we weren't thinking about. And I think that's really, really important to understand is there, Scott Dolson is in charge of IU athletics. This is going to be the, the decision that really, you know, uh, sets the tone for his tenure as athletic director. He's going to take it serious. And, and I think what he's done right up to this point has been very worthy of, of compliments and praise. So for me, it's a trust factor. And it's also a factor I'm tired of hearing, you know, you get a little piece of chatter and that guy jumps to the top of the uh, of of the board, another piece of chatter, another guy. I personally have dismissed listening to chatter and just waiting for that announcement of when the, the press conference um, yeah. uh, w- would come. I, I would throw back to you as far as timing. Do you think that Armand entering now is a reflection of maybe some conversation that the coaches that were talked about early with the players. I don't know if you talk with the players or not. I wouldn't necessarily, but the longer this went, he was waiting to hear some things. Do you think there's any sign that can be read into that? And I know I'm playing into that craziness that, okay, things didn't go the way he wanted to. So now he's entering the transfer portal or did he just take his time as well uh, to enter? I, I think that's the option I'm leaning towards is that he just thought this out for a week and then decided to do it instead of doing it a day after or 
or whatever, as yeah. opposed to any sign of of what's going on with the coaching search. But yeah. I, that just popped into my head here when I, since this happened. No, I think I think that's definitely true. You know, again, he's not entering the transfer portal certain that he's going to leave, and so I think if you know if he like knew that there was a coach and knew he didn't like that coach, then maybe it would be a little bit different. I just think this is again. You know, a savvy basketball family that knows that it has options, taking those options as, you know, as well they should, you know. And so it's pretty clear that, again, he hasn't made a final decision and could come back. So it's just it, it's an inevitable complication of this coaching search, you know, and we all we all felt really good that no one had entered the transfer portal yet. But get ready, because if we thought transfers in the offseason were a big thing before it is going to be an annual thing now that guys can leave without sitting out. I agree with it. I think it's a good rule. I think you should let players do that. I understand some of the downside risks of it, but I think it's fair to them. We just all, as fans, are going to have to get ready for this. And hopefully he comes back. But again, I, I think you know Scott Dolson needs to, uh, needs to just keep his timetable. Um, and I, I exchanged some messages actually with Armand's mom just while we've been sitting here talking. And she said... It's only to foster the relationship while they continue to do their coaching search. We want to make sure the coach is a good fit for Armand and Armand for the new coach. And she said it was okay to say that. So that's that's what they're thinking. I think that's that's exactly what they should be thinking. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Let's, you know, there are some names out there, Coach. And I, I, think, I think what might be kind of interesting, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, some of these names that we're hearing, there's kind of a knee-jerk, like, positive reaction to that person or a knee-jerk negative reaction to that person. And I kind of want to just play devil's advocate for a little bit on some of these guys, right? And, and you know, I, I wrote about this on our website and posted in the community um, and actually went in last night and posted my post inside of Pigs and inside the Inside the Hall forum because I went in there and, again, I was just... I was obviously flabbergasted by some of the reaction to Mike Woodson's name. It was, it, I mean, it was ridiculous. Um, you know what, what some of the people were saying. And so that's why I wanted to post that kind of, kind of put the devil's advocate. If you go to assemblycall.com slash Mike dash Woodson, you can read it and we'll talk about it here in a minute, but let, let's start with beeline and beard. And I think the, the positives for beeline are pretty obvious. This is a guy who's one in the big 10, you know, he was, I mean, he was doing, he had Michigan rolling so well that the NBA, you know, hired him to, to come coach. You know, he plays an exciting style of basketball that is attractive. He's not a guy who was, was doing it necessarily with five-star recruits. He was really building a program of three and four-year guys. And in a lot of ways, what you're seeing from Jawan Howard right now is built upon what John Beeline did, which is why I still think we need to be patient with Jawan Howard, as great as he's been. John Beeline left him an incredible foundation there. So... All the reason in the world. Look, if you if you try to say who's who's the best coach of the last ten years in the Big Ten, who would you say? Beeline. Is it Beeline? Yeah. You know. So if you have a chance to get I the mean, best coach in the Big Ten of the last ten years when you've been in the Big Ten wilderness yeah. for a decade. Okay, so that's obvious. So why not John Beeline? Well, 
you know, as an old guy myself, uh, age is an issue. Uh, he will be 68 at the end of next year. How long are you doing this search again, five, six years down the road? Do you have someone in waiting? Uh, but again, if you, if you need a good coach, I, I think he's a great, great fit for Indiana. He commands that presence. You said something on the show the other, other day or, or in our text where you need someone to command the program. And I think he would do that. Um, he did run into some issues with Cleveland with some unfortunate um, words towards the players um, that were taken um, in, in negative light, uh, saying they were playing like thugs. Um, in a heavy recruiting world, uh, that will be used uh, against him, uh, whether that should or not. And I'm sure that he has um, thought again about doing that. I don't think that's in his DNA to say those things over and over. That's not what kind of person he is. But in the recruiting world, I don't know if that's a no for the coaching uh, position, but but that is out there. And man, the recruiting world is just cutthroat, um, you know, so th that that would be be the negative. Uh, he took three, four years to get Michigan to where they were. And again, you're talking about Indiana somewhat. I don't know if we need a quick fix, but we need a boost of energy. Um, you know, we need someone to come in and try to win as soon as, as possible, doing it the right way. So, um, you know, th that would be a question for me on, on Beeline. Let's talk about Chris Beard, because you talk about someone who could come in and win right away. Like, I think if, I think in a lot of ways, Beard probably has the most positive checks in his column. If you were just kind of listing out all the things you would look for in a coach, right? He's relatively young. He's been successful. He's had NCAA tournament success. Uh, you know, he's got some history with Bob Knight. He's got kind of an energetic take command personality. The program would definitely be his. There's a lot to like about Chris Beard, you know, and you know, cause we've exchanged some text messages about this. I like, I, I feel like there's huge upside potential with a guy like Chris Beard. You see what he's done at Texas tech. What could he potentially do at Indiana? I feel like there's some crash and burn potential with Chris Beard. I don't know why it's, I guess some stuff that I hear in the background that I certainly wouldn't say on the show because I have no way of knowing if any of it's true, but there's, I don't, there's something about his personality that I think it could fit really well, and I think it could not. So don't get me wrong. I would be ecstatic if we hired Chris Beard. I have reservations ab about that, though. And I guess that's what I mean is, you know, he seems like a slam dunk type guy. Like, he's he's kind of the Archie Miller, right, of this of this cycle in some ways. It's like a coach who's been at what's perceived as a lower level program, although Texas tech is in the big 12 and they've been better than Indiana for, you know, for a long time now. So it's not really a lower level program, but he's got a lot of those things. And I, and I, I do think the personality fit would be better than Archie Miller. I just have some reservations um, about him that, that give me a little bit of pause, but I, I take yeah, it. I, yeah, I think he does a great job. He has a defensive philosophy that's different than a lot of coaches with the with the no middle and and a little more pressure than a lot of college coaches are doing right now. Um, and they get to play well. He's had double digit losses the last two years. Um, yeah. You know, they they were a six seed this year. They were on verge of maybe not making the tournament last year. Um, so there there are you know, and you find that with any coach, right? I mean, we're, we're talking about a guy who was in a, in a championship game uh, in 2019. Um, without a bunch of really big five-star uh, players. So yeah. there's no doubt that he would bring good basketball. Uh, I like him because of that. I like him, you know, uh, because I think he has a defensive mindset first. I think that's Indiana basketball. Uh, I think there's that toughness that I like as yeah. well. 
you you do worry about some of the those things that you were talking about uh, that you kind of hear um, behind the scenes. But there's a lot of coaches that um, that, that have you know <laughs> we're a crazy lot, man. I'm telling you, you know. <laughs> you you got to be to put your life in the hands of, you know, 19, 20, 21 year olds. You should, you should hear the things I hear about the Western coaching staff. I mean, that is, yeah, uh, we're bad, man. We're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're on the fringe, and, you know, <laughs> we do all kinds of shady things. It's um, all about winning. I, you know, and, and so the other guy, and again, like, I think we could go down the line with a lot of guys. These are the three names that have been talked about the most. So I just wanted to address them real quick. You know, Mike Woodson, I think there are the, the downside to Mike Woodson is obvious. You know, the guy has not coached in college. He doesn't have college coaching experience, you know, a little bit older guy. Is he going to be hungry? You know, have the hunger that you need to rebuild Indiana basketball. Uh, what is recruiting? What would recruiting look like under Mike Woodson? He's never done it. All those things like, and they're all perfectly valid. You know, like I, I fully recognize the downside to hiring Mike Woodson. I just think the issue is, uh, and and if Scott Dolson is, is you know really considering him, then I appreciate that Scott Dolson is being open minded and having an imagination about what could work, right? Because again, we don't know what's going to work, mm-hmm. but you know, you look at you know what are some of the things that have really plagued Indiana basketball of late? Our offense has been terrible. And we've had a coach that I don't think has really built good relationships with players. And those are the two things that you hear about Mike Woodson over and over and over again. And I recognize the NBA is different than college, but that that those two things right there give you the sense that he would have a strong foundation. Now, he's not going to do everything. You'd have to pair him with the right staff. You'd have to have some hungry ace recruiters on there, probably an experienced college basketball coach like Juwan Howard has Phil Martelli. Like You'd have to do a lot of those things around him. But man, you start listening to some of the guys that have played for him. There was a video I posted on Twitter with Raymond Felton and Kenyon Martin and Jamal Crawford talking about how he's an old school coach, but he knows how to adapt to new times. And he's he builds good relationships. All those things. And I think the other thing to to recognize is, you know, just because you know, a coach hasn't done something doesn't mean that he couldn't do it, right? So Mike Woodson hasn't coached in college. He hasn't recruited in college. What I think we need to recognize as Indiana basketball fans is the landscape of recruiting and what makes a school attractive to players is different now. You know, style of play makes a big difference. And our style of play has not been attractive. The entire conferences hasn't. And I want to talk to you about that before we get out of here. You know, but the other thing is, he's not going to have you know, banners that he hung himself to point to. He's not going to have a, you know, he hasn't won 70% of his games or won conference titles or had a deep tournament run to point to, right? But you know what he can point to? The most important thing that a lot of these players want to do, which is get to the NBA. He's coached there. He's played there. You know, the thing I love about Mike Woodson is he can relate to any player on the roster because he was a star in college. He was a good role player in the NBA, and then he ended it as a bench warmer. He has played every single role on a team to be able to relate to that guy, and he's coached in the NBA to know what it takes to get to the NBA. And I think the fatal flaw people make in assessing Mike Woodson's candidacy is underestimating what actually attracts high school players. No one cares that Mike Woodson scored 2,000 points in college, and no one's even saying that that matters to young guys. What they do care about is is he can speak with authority about what they need to do to reach their goals. And I think that really matters. And I think we need to consider that when we talk about who should be the next coach and what philosophy we should be building the program with. We have a chance for a reset right now. 
and we should take it. And stuff that hasn't been working, we should be willing to go in the other direction. He would represent that. It could flame out. There's a lot of reasons why it wouldn't work. I get it. But the template of a Mike Woodson hire, whether or not it's him, I like a lot of the elements from it. You know, um, I wasn't I wasn't too keen when I started hearing uh, the name, and maybe I, I caught some of that fever uh, of the names early on as well. But but that right there is a key thing when you you worry about him not recruiting uh, as an NBA guy, and and can he uh, adapt to that? But if you're good at your job, uh, a lot of us take jobs that we we don't have experience in, and we become good at them because you surround yourself with good people, or at least should surround yourself with good people. But that connection to the NBA and playing an NBA style could be enough to get people to come to Indiana. That, that I think, is the number one thing when you talk about Mike Woodson. The number two thing is we're talking about wanting to play modern basketball. He's probably got a chance to make it more modern coming from the NBA, whether we like the ISO game or, or the pick and roll or all that stuff as a college type thing. He's going to bring an NBA flavor uh, offensively, which again, kids would want to play in because they want to get ready for the league. The other thing that he does is he's well connected with all of the former players. And that seems to have been a, a, a disconnect. And I know we're in a struggle right now of whether we should hold on to all of that tradition or start anew. But, uh, you know, we've said it here, you need to hold on to the tradition because that's why we're still here and the fans are still here and it's still a good job and keep those p- pieces of tradition that are vital in having a successful program, but then modernize where we can. Well, maybe Mike Woodson's that guy that bridges that gap uh, from modern and tradition, and it's all that wrapped in one package where a guy who is in Texas or somewhere else doesn't might take some time to get, you know, everyone's been saying you got to have an IU guy or get an I get the IU program. Well, maybe Mike Woodson might be, you know, ultimately what this program needs after 20 years of, of going in many different directions and struggling. Uh, and, and maybe it's a Mike Woodson for five or six years. And with the idea, I'm going to be here five or six years, we're going to get this working in the right direction. And then either someone on staff or the next guy comes in. Uh, that's something that we don't look at when we look at the home run, big fish hires, but boy, I'm, I'm starting to see that a little bit more and more than when I first initially heard the name. Yeah. Let me just jump in real quick. It's completely ridiculous. Oh, Ryan has some thoughts. We, well, we know Ryan. You didn't show up. We know show. Ryan. By the way, just in case anybody saw the back and forth that Ryan and I had on Twitter yesterday about this and thought that maybe that was performance art in public to to drive up some Twitter engagement, Coach and Andy can attest <laughs> that it, it was very genuine because we blew up our our group text thread going back and forth and it was all coach and andy could do to just try and change the subject and get us, and get us <laughs> off of it and jared jared and i went back on the pack line being an old relic too the other day too so you know i'm an old relic the pack line was invented like 15 20 years ago uh look i mean and again ryan good. ryan has some good points on it i think he's being stubborn i think he's being obstinate i think he's misrepresenting mike woodson's nba coaching career you know but he's got some good points too. There are points on both sides. I'm not advocating for Mike Woodson. I think there are better candidates than Mike Woodson. Let me just make that clear. He, I'm, I talk about him more because I think his case has been less fairly stated. And I feel if we can provide any kind of service on this podcast as to help bring balance to a conversation, we can survey it, see what everybody's saying, and figure out where we can fill in the gaps. No one needs another voice saying why Mike Woodson wouldn't work. That is out there. But there are, and you'll notice that when I was talking about him today, I didn't bring up the IU stuff. 
you know, I, I think you can make a case for Mike Woodson without bringing up the IU stuff, but that stuff is important. And I think that that's a, that's a, a bullet point in, in his favor. Um, I think if we can find a guy that fits a lot of the criteria that we want and immediately pulls in, I'll, I know that any coach could do it, but Mike Woodson would do it immediately. <laughs> you know, if you can do that, that's a nice bonus to have. You don't hire a guy because of that but it is a nice thing to have on top of it. Okay, coach, I know you have to go soon. And there's one more topic I want to talk about with you. And that is the big 10. A lot of hot sports opinions about there about the big 10 struggling. Michigan is the only team left. Some big 10 teams flamed out in spectacular fashion. Uh, not an impressive run for the conference. As with most things, the immediate knee jerk reaction on Twitter to me is too extreme. So, and I, we've been saying all season long, I feel like, and so I don't know, people can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like we've been saying all season long, the Big Ten is good, but it's not this good. Like, this is not a vintage Big Ten season. I've seen vintage Big Ten seasons, and this was not that. It was a good Big Ten season, but let's remember that part of the reason why everyone thought the Big Ten was good is because it had high computer rankings. Part of the reason it had high computer rankings is because it entered the season with high computer rankings, and there wasn't a lot of non-conference play where a lot of the computer rankings shift up. So now you enter conference play with high computer rankings. You're playing against each other. Those computer rankings stay pretty high. It's almost like you're kind of gobbling up each other, and someone goes down, someone else goes up. And so it was always a bit of a flawed premise that the Big Ten was this great conference. It, you know, it matched the numbers, but this was not. There wasn't enough. There wasn't as much data as usual in the computer numbers. So you have to understand why those numbers were so high. We all could see with our eyes: good conference, a deep conference of good teams but not great. There's not elite talent in the conference this year. And now we're seeing in the NCAA tournament teams losing in part because the teams aren't as good as they were made out to be, but also perhaps in part because the big 10 spends three months insulated in this one particular style of basketball and then gets smacked in the mouth with a different style of basketball and can't really handle it. So I'm kind of in the middle. I don't think the big 10 is this disaster that people are talking about because they're having a rough NCAA tournament and you've always Got to take NCAA tournament stuff with a grain of salt because it's individual games in matchups that may or may not be good matchups for that team. So slow down there. But certainly the narrative that the Big Ten wasn't as good as people were saying, that's just a continuation, I think, of what we thought all season long. Well, and then the Big 12 is bad, too, because they only have one team left. Baylor, their number one team, too. And they got absolutely smoked uh, as well. I think uh, the best thing is everyone's an independent contractor. That's what the NCAA tournament does the, the committee does to see teams, uh, and that's the way you look at it when it comes to the tournament time as opposed to the league. Yeah, a bunch of teams in our league got beat, but there's some reasons. Uh, the style of play, Ohio State was an offensive first uh, team that didn't play good defense. Iowa was a, a high-scoring offense. Michigan State has a transition game that's unbelievable. So, I, I you know, we're stuck in the old Wisconsin plotting uh, offense and, and IU had to play that way. But really, I don't think that we are in that tackle football. I think that's a narrative that's just old. Um, I, I think it was matchups. Ohio State struggled defensively all year and played the, the country's number one leading scorer in Aismas from Oral Roberts. Um, a lot of people were picking that at the, at, at the beginning. Oregon had been hurt uh, all year and went through some um, COVID issues, never had their team together, got their team together at the end of the season, lost Oregon State. So that's a narrative too. And then all of a sudden they played the game of their life. So the other thing I would say, and I didn't know this until I started doing bracketology, 
I always thought your six, seven, eight seeds were horrible teams, and and anytime they won or anyone below that won. But when you look at it, a top eight team is top 32 in the country. So Loyola was like 29-30, according to the NCAA committee. When they beat a number one team, that happens all season long, in conference and in non-conference, when a ranked team or an honorable mention ranked team, AP, um, two ranked teams get together, it's not shocking. So if the 25th ranked team would be a seven seed, beats a two seed, that that's that's not really, to me, it's an upset in seed only, uh, but those are quality teams. And and then all of the automatic bids have won conferences and they've had, to, they're on a hot streak. So you're getting smaller schools with talented kids who have been hot and they could always, you know, Ohio had one game in them. Abilene Christian had one game in them. So that's why I look at it as independent contractors, not so much a league. Uh, the, the league was good. The Big 12 was really good this year. They ran into some incredible matchups and hot teams at the wrong time. And, and we have a lot of double-digit seeds. Uh, so it's what makes the tournament fun. And, and those two conferences just getting the, getting the brunt of it this year. Yeah. You know, it's – so let me ask you this. I, I think you do make some good points, definitely. I think there also may be some – the narrative about how the league is officiated and some of the ways that games are allowed to devolve into physical brutish battles, or at least where that is incentivized as a strategy to work, part of why Archie Miller devised that as his strategy for Indiana, which I thought was a terrible strategy. Maybe it was the only way this team could compete. I have no idea. I hope we never see it again. But I do think there's something to the way that the league is officiated that lends itself to that. But let me ask you this. Think back about the last six, seven years in the Big Ten. And I just want your visceral answer. When we get to tournament time, which Big Ten team do you have the most confidence in is going to do well in the NCAA tournament? Michigan State. Okay. I mean, that, well, that's, now, my, my, that's my quick answer. Okay. Now, is that because of Izzo? Well, okay. Who's second? It's because of Izzo, and it's also because when they're, when they're playing well, they yep. have really great transition basketball. Yes. Which is more modern than anything else. They yes. don't play that slogging style. So Right. And they didn't have, have that this year. That Right, and they didn't right. have that this they year because did they didn't have a point guard. But when they had Cassius right. Winston, they did. Who's the okay? So who's second? Um, I would right now. I'd say Purdue over Michigan. You have more confidence in Purdue over Michigan? In the All right, yeah, Michigan. Okay, that was my quick. quick Maybe answer. I should just tell you the answer I'm looking for you to get. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> tell me what you want me to say, and then I'll, I'll bug out. No, 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 I, no Mich it, Michigan. <laughs> you go back to Michigan with Beeline's been in a couple finals. That makes more sense. But I mean. It tells you what I think about a program with a coach that's been there for 12 years and what Indiana needs to get. Uh, Purdue runs good stuff. Yeah, uh, I know they got beat by North Texas this year, but we'll look out for them in the next two years. Uh, yeah. I, I think they run really good offense, uh, even though they have a seven foot nine guy every year that they they throw the ball into and can be a little old fashioned basketball at times. Um, but yeah, Michigan would be the other one uh, with Beeline's offense um, and and scoring points. You're right. But, okay, but what do all three of those teams have in common? And, I, you know, I think you could make an argument between Michigan State and Michigan, and then I think Purdue is in that next tier. And I think they're, the relative mm -hmm. success of those programs Fair. in the tournament over the last decade probably bears that out. But they all run more modern stuff offensively. You know, Purdue right. does a lot of stuff where they're looking to – they're really looking to utilize the three-point line. They do do a little bit more post stuff than a lot of other teams do, but they are very much a modern style three point shooting team where that's featured in their their offense. And with Michigan, it's a lot of spread out, five out, you know, pick and rolls, all that kind of stuff. That's where and look, this is going to sound ironic coming from the guy who would, you know, give a kidney to have Tony Bennett be the coach. 
I just think he's a special coach, even though I don't like his style. I think the person is more important, right? So if you're going to tell me I can get Tony Bennett to lead my program, I'm taking it in a heartbeat. He can play whatever style he wants because he's going to be successful. He's a great college coach. But generally speaking, if you're not getting Tony Bennett, who's proven to be one of the three or four best coaches in college basketball, from a style perspective, we need to play a style that is more attractive, more conducive to the modern game, more forward thinking. It's going to help us recruit better. It's going to give us, I think, a a better chance to have success in the tournament um, and just set ourselves up better for the future. So, and I think you can look at, you know, look at a team like Michigan and kind of the template that they're running. And I'm not saying, I'm not trying to link those to hiring an NBA coach. They're two different things, but from an offensive perspective, you know, that's what I think would be, would be the most advantageous for the program moving forward. I, I got to run here, but I, I agree a hundred percent. That that's ultimately what I was excited about with with the last coach. That I thought there'd be a little more up tempo, run, uh, shoot the three ball early, you know, throw the lob, dunk, all that kind of stuff. I just think that's a better brand of basketball right now, and I think for college, uh, and I think it does need to 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 be modernized. And I cringed when he said that at Huber's that he was going to go to a little more old school double post. Um, good coaches have run that in the past. Izzo has run some of that. Uh, Bill Self did that at Kansas, but you're absolutely right that, um, you know, I think that's why Ohio State was good. They couldn't guard this year, but they could score uh, and they could shoot the three ball. And, and Iowa, again, overcome. And I'm a defensive guy. And I think the reason those two teams aren't advancing is because they, in order to win in the tournament, you ultimately have to have some defensive DNA. Yes. Uh, you, mm-hmm. you, you, can't, you can't just play modern basketball. Because we had a guy who did that, um, and, and we had a couple years of good success, and then we had some some not-so-good years when we didn't guard. So there really has to be a little bit of a combination of both. But you're right. The kids these days want to want to get the ball and go and play. And I've always said if I get a head coaching job again, I'm going to open up the offense um, and and a little more freedom because I think you play better offensively with freedom. Hey, you, know, you get a steal, take whatever shot you want. Mm-hmm. I honestly might do that. Um, it might drive me crazy because you got that <laughs> coaches want the thumb on you. But if you've earned it defensively, think about that. If you've earned it defensively, why not go down? And if you if you take a bad shot, but it's in a it's in a good flow, all right, we we broke even. Get it back again on defense. Um, yeah, I, I've really played around with that, Jared, a lot in my mind of of an offensive philosophy of you play the way I want to on defense. You earn a little bit of my trust with you on offense on the other end. Um, and then we'll talk and film about, Hey, you know what? You shouldn't pull up from the you know logo just cause you got to steal. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you ought to go in for a layup every once in a while. And then you teach that in film, but kids need to play freed up. I think we saw that this year when they weren't freed up, that it really took away from the, the ability. And again, it goes to a beeline, a Woodson. One of the things we as fans don't see is that reaction in the sidelines, in the film room of how do you coach and hold people accountable, but yet maintain that confidence and that creativity that players play with so much that's what Dolson has to find and ultimately if Dolson finds that guy regardless regardless if he's number one on my list or five on that list I think you'll see success at IU and everyone can get behind it yeah I am so ready for coach Tonsoni seven seconds or less basketball at uh at Western here's the thing we're gonna have to grind it out next year too we we lose three three seniors we got to reboot a little bit we got two post players it's gonna be it's gonna be dick bennett basketball first and then you'll you'll adapt it's winning but you but here's the point too it's very important we want winning basketball 
Yeah. Whether it's Tony Bennett, slow blocker mover, or whether someone else, we want winning, consistent basketball back at Indiana. This gives this job uh, opening gives us an opportunity to get the start back on that. That's why all of us are excited. And my last word here before I go uh, take my son out for lunch is we want to make sure we don't get in the way as fans. Let's do whatever we can to not get in the way uh, of that hiring or, or the perception. Can we control the perception as much as possible by being patient and and letting this process happen and then getting behind the next coach, regardless of, of, of who it is. 100% coach. Have a good lunch. All righty. Thanks. Have a good lunch. We'll see you. Uh See you coach. All right, I'm going to hang out here for a little bit longer, uh, obviously. Fully endorse everything that Coach just said there. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Um, let's answer some questions here because we got some questions in here from the uh, from our community. A couple people in the chat talking about Justin Smith. Uh, first of all, I think it's been great to watch Justin Smith have success at Arkansas. You know, I think if you if you think back to what we said about Justin Smith when he transferred, I think a lot of it was okay. This makes sense. He didn't seem like a player who was happy. Coach didn't really seem happy with him. Kind of felt like a square peg in a round hole a little bit. My thoughts on how it would affect the team is that I thought it would raise Indiana's ceiling because it could allow us to get more three-point shooting on the court, maybe have better chemistry, but I also thought it would lower our floor because if we got injuries to big guys you know, and some other some of the question marks didn't come through, well, now you're taking away a guy who is, you know, despite our the frustrations with him, was still a productive player and a good defensive player. Unfortunately, I feel like that happened. I think if you have Justin Smith on this team, Indiana probably finishes 500. They probably get a couple more victories, you know, and that didn't happen. Regardless, it certainly worked out for him. I'm I'm ecstatic to see that he's having success, and a lot of it is because of what we've talked about, you know. And I've talked with his dad about it a little bit too. It's the freedom. It's the difference in the style. It's feeling that your coach believes in you. That your coach really is getting to know you and building a relationship with you and understanding how best to coach you. So that's what I want to see from Indiana basketball. And that's what I feel like we haven't seen for the last four years for all the things that Archie Miller did well as a coach. And he did do some things. Well, that I think is one of his fatal flaws and we're seeing it play out in the way that Justin Smith is really blossoming. I don't think he's a massively different player this year than he was before. Like in the time I've watched him play anyway, and I didn't watch a ton of their games. I haven't seen like tremendous skill development from him. I think he's just doing the stuff that he's good at more often. You're seeing him score on a lot of basket cuts. You're seeing him run the court. You're seeing him be an offensive rebounder. He's not taking a lot of threes. He's not doing a lot of different stuff, but he's more engaged. He's playing with more energy because he feels like the coach has his back, you know, and that's important. So, um, okay, let me answer a few of these questions that came in here. Uh, Okay, so first from Tyler. If the coach was going to be Woodson, Beeline, or Mata, wouldn't the deal be done by now with it taking this long? Has me thinking it's a coach that uh, is in or was in the tournament. Yeah, as I said before, I think the longer this goes on, the more likely it seems like it's not one of these names. So we just have to wait and be patient and kind of prepare ourselves that 
no matter who is chosen, there has clearly been a very deliberative process that Scott Dolson has undertaken, talking to a lot of people, turning over a lot of stones, and you know he may not end up with his first choice. The first choice is Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens said no. He may have a second choice in mind. That second choice may say no. But there's a lot of good options out there. There's a lot of guys who would probably succeed in this job. So even if it's the third or the fourth choice, that guy's probably going to have a lot of credentials and a lot of experience and a lot of reasons to believe he could be the right guy. (laughs) Whoever the choice is, is going to be the coach here for at a minimum two or three years, right? Even in the disaster scenario. So I think it behooves all of us, even if we have misgivings about it, to look on the bright side, no matter who is chosen. Hopefully it's a bright side that we can all rally behind without any questions. Cause it's like, Holy crap, we got that guy. But in the event that it's not, Let's let's kind of stick together on this, you know, and, and remember that stuff that we say publicly and the way that we act publicly is a reflection on the program. And we can be supportive kind of as the, the monolithic IU fan base, we can be supportive when we're kind of putting good energy out there. And, you know, let's let the coach give us a reason to doubt him before we just doubt him immediately, I guess is what I would say. Because certainly the last year and a half, there hasn't been a lot of good energy out there for Archie Miller. But part of that is because the results kind of dictated it. You know, and so that's I think the best approach we can have. Stephen Russell wants us to address the tournament performance of the Big Ten. Uh, we just talked about this. We can move on. Uh, Tom says, "What about the rumors of Chris Mack leaving Louisville?" I have not heard about any of those uh, rumors, so I don't know, and I don't know if Chris Mack would even be an option uh, if he did leave Louisville. Um, uh, an appreciation for focusing on content. Excited to lessen my afternoon office production today from someone in the uh, community who names himself Elbows In. We appreciate that homage, uh, and that's what we're here to do. Uh, Let's see. Jeff says, did the Big Ten's performance in the tournament show that the conference has issues that need addressed if we expect them to have deep tournament success? Again, you know, we just kind of talked about that. I do think, uh, you know, I I think Coach brought good balance to it. Like, I don't think it's as extreme as everybody says, but I do think that there are issues there with the Big Ten. And that there have been recruits that have literally said that they don't want to play in the Big Ten because of the perception of how the game is played in the Big Ten. So if nothing else, whether we want to get down and parse it and go team by team and say it is or it's not a big issue, there's a perception out there. And the perception needs to be fixed because the way that you win big in the NCAA tournament is you get better players. And as we've seen, the Big Ten is not getting a lot of McDonald's All-Americans. You know, it's got a lot of great programs. It's got a lot of great coaches. It's got teams that develop and play well, but it doesn't have a lot of high-end talent. That was always my issue with the Big Ten this year. Yeah, some good teams. Not a ton of high-end talent out there. And so you got to make yourself attractive for high-end talent to come. You know, they're not just going to come because there's five banners hanging from the rafters in Assembly Hall. They're not just going to come because Tom Izzo is a Hall of Fame coach. You're going to get some guys, but not enough to maybe win consistently big in the NCAA tournament, which is what we have seen. And so I think basketball is changing. Basketball is evolving. And I would like to see the Big Ten evolve with it. And that's going to happen on a program-by-program basis. And also, if the coaches of the Big Ten get together and say they want to do something a little bit different with how games are officiated or how it's played. And so there's got to be some will on a lot of different sides uh, to make it worth it. All right, I know we had some questions on Twitter, too. And so I want to get to some of those I feel like Galen Clavio here uh, on Crimson Cast, just kind of going through these questions live without a run sheet or any preparation here. Um, He's the master. I won't do it as well as him, but I'm going to give it a try. Uh, Okay, so here is a great question from Joel. First of all, dedicate at least a few minutes to Indiana women's basketball, the defensive stats from yesterday's win. 
Uh, can we all agree the next coach should play a style of basketball that doesn't in any way resemble Wisconsin or Michigan State style of play? Wisconsin or, or Michigan State can have an attractive style of play when they have a good point guard because they do want to push it, and they are a team that will shoot some threes. So when Michigan State is humming, they just had poor roster construction this year. And when you have poor roster construction, it's not going to look great. Now, Michigan State does like to play real physical inside, and so I would be fine if you if some of that was taken away, uh, certainly. But I would not just pigeonhole Michigan State as a team that doesn't play an attractive style because when they're rolling, they do, and that's part of the reason why they've gotten good players to go there. As far as the women's basketball team, I did not get a chance to watch the game, but an incredibly just impressive performance simply from looking at you know how many points they held VCU to, uh, how much they dominated the second half. It was awesome. And I have already made a date with my daughter to watch the game on Wednesday with her, either live or we're going to tape it and watch it. I want to I do a quick aside here. And I think uh, all, of the, all the dads who are listening, all the moms who are listening, and really probably anybody will be able to appreciate this. My daughter's four. And she's never really shown a great like interest in sports. Like it's just kind of not been her thing. You know, she likes to watch Hamilton and sing Hamilton songs and she likes to, you know, play with dolls and do these play scenarios. And she's amazing and has an incredible imagination, incredible verbal skills. And the one time that we did get her into soccer, she, you know, she had a couple of soccer games actually before the pandemic hit. And so when she was out there, she was much more interested in going and tending to a couple of people who had fallen and gotten hurt and seeing how they were doing, then <laughs> pursuing the goal. So she's much more of a... She even asked me... The other day, we were doing something. We were talking about competition and winning or losing. And it was like, why does one team have to win and one team has to lose? She's much more about cooperation. Uh, it's going to serve her well later in life. I'm proud of her for it. However, last night, the LSU-Michigan game was on. And so we were getting ready for bed, and I was watching the LSU-Michigan game. And so you know, I, I was just sitting on the couch watching it. And again, has never shown any interest in basketball. She comes over and just kind of curls up next to me, you know, kind of, you know, wriggles her way up under my arm. And we just sit there and watch basketball for the first time ever. And it was great. Now, I really wish that her first time watching basketball wasn't watching Will Wade's LSU team just dribble and chuck every shot and not get Trenton Watford any looks late in a close game. She didn't really see great basketball played. But it was so great. She's, you know, we're talking about the yellow team and the purple team, and her favorite color is purple. So she was kind of, you know, you know, following LSU. And we're talking about, you know, okay, they've got the ball, and now they're shooting it over here, and this is what a free throw is. And I was for the first time ever talking basketball with my daughter and teaching her about the game, and it was awesome. It was probably one of the ten best moments I've had as a dad. It was so great because it just it's not something that we've really had a chance to do. And at one point, we're watching it, and she says why are there only boys playing? It's like, well, typically they have boys play against boys and the girls play against the girls. And you know what? Indiana has an incredible girls team. Do you want to watch it with me? And she said, yes. And so we spent about 10 minutes watching it. She loved it. I walked upstairs and my wife had like, she was kind of like teary eyed actually. And she's like, I heard you guys downstairs. She's like, that was so great. You're just like talking about the game. And I was like, yes, it was, it was amazing. Uh, so anyway, that was in a, in a season that hasn't given me many good basketball memories. I feel like I will always remember, uh, that, um, anyway, I hope, you know, again, watching LSU play was ridiculous. And I was explaining to her, like, this is not good basketball that you're watching. There's talent out there, but not very good basketball. Uh, but anyway, I, I was, I, I felt so excited to be able to tell her that the Indiana women's team is playing and they're great and we're going to watch them play. And she was excited about it. So to be able to see 
you know, a women's team that's on the TV, just like the men are in the NCAA tournament. The court's going to look the same. I love that. So anyway, we're going to watch that. I'm so proud of our women's team. They're so great. Uh, and I think they've really got, they've got so many elements that you need to make a deep run. Now they've been a little inconsistent, you know, that's why they're a four seed. And so they're prone to some lapses, but if they can get rolling, I really like the potential for what they can do in this tournament and hope we get to watch them for a long time. And I'm just kind of wondering, you know, we always kind of, when we talk about Indiana basketball, we always assume we're talking about the men. And we, when we talk about women's basketball, we always have to say women's basketball. I don't know. More, a few more seasons like this, you may need to flip uh, the one that's just basketball, and then we may have to refer to the men as the men's basketball program. We'll see. The women are earning it right now. Um, let's see. Steven says, using Dolson's words as a rubric, who's the logical top choice? I wonder if what Steven is referring to there is when Dolson said in his press conference that he really wants to you know, find someone who is, I think it was like a CEO or a partner um, you know, kind of this allusion to business, like a guy who's, you know, going to kind of be the CEO, kind of oversee the program. Uh, you know, who's the logical top choice if that's the case? Using his words? I don't know. I don't know that I would read too much into his words because I think any good head coach kind of fulfills that role. Um, so no matter who you look at, you, you know, if it's Mike Woodson, right, you would say, okay, he's, you know, a coach who's going to have some specific things that he does, but boy, he's going to have to have some ace recruiters and, you know, a guy who's really going to help with defense and this, that, and the other, you know, John Beeline, kind of same thing. So it's, I don't know that I would parse the words too much for the candidate. I think he's the logical top choice is the, the best coaching candidate he's going to have a chance to get based on his criteria. And, and that's, what's a little bit unknown with Scott Dolson, you know, how much is he concerned with the style of play? How much is he concerned with having an IU guy? How much is he concerned with having someone with NBA experience? How much is he concerned with dot, 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 you know, past NCAA tournament experience? There's all of these like things that can go into it, and we don't really know where he ranks those things. We all have our personal calculus that we do. We don't really know what his is. So we have to kind of wait and see. But I think we've talked about a lot of the names and also left open the possibility that it could be someone off the board, you know, and the longer this goes, the more we'll have to see if that happens. Uh, Benjamin says, any thoughts on whether Cliff Marshall might be retained given his relationship and skill set? What are your thoughts on the lack of usual leaks and lack of public uh, uh, declinations by candidates? Is Dolson looking in unusual places, hence unusual silence? Uh, might Cliff Marshall be retained? It's possible, but unlikely. Usually when a new coach comes in, He's going to want to bring in his own guys and not have lingering connections to the previous regime because of how important it is to get a fresh start. Now, that doesn't always happen, you know, and Cliff Marshall may be so good at his job that you want to keep him. And Kenya Hunter may be such a good recruiter that you want to keep him. But I would say if it happens, I would feel great for those guys because, you know, as the son of a, a college football coach, um, you know, I know how difficult it can be for the non-head coach when the, the coach gets fired and your life gets upended. And I think all of those guys have worked their butts off to make Indiana great and done a good job. And so I'd love to see him stay, but I'd say it's unlikely just given past precedent. And then lack of usual leaks, you know, I think it shows incredible discipline by Scott Dolson. I think most of the stuff that has gotten out has been Indiana fan echo chamber running wild with little to no substance. The Thad Mata story from yesterday, a great case in point there, you know, reporting that he had failed the physical, which turned out not to be true. And they immediately put out a statement to squash that. So I just think they've been very disciplined, uh, you know, and I think that's great. 
So I think the less stuff, the less this gets played out in public, the more difficult maybe it is for folks who have to fill airtime on a podcast uh, or you know who want stuff to talk about on Twitter. But you know those of us who do this because we love Indiana basketball, we just wanted to make the right choice. So uh, I'm glad that he's done it that way. How about Michael Lewis, head coach, Calvert Chaney, assistant, and Sharon Wilkerson, assistant coach, Mike Roberts, assistant coach. Uh, I think Michael Lewis is a, a name to keep an eye on, not necessarily as a head coach this go around, but maybe as a lead assistant, depending on who comes in. But he is starting to stack up a pretty impressive track record as an assistant coach. And I think before too long, he's going to get a head job. And I don't think anybody who knows him, who remembers him as a player, who has kind of followed along his career, is going to be surprised if he goes on to be successful. So if you tell me that Michael Lewis is coming on as part of this staff, I'd love it. You know, I don't know anything about um, really Sharon's coaching experience, so I can't speak to his. Calbert is an interesting story. You know, he had, I think, a big impact on the Tom Crean teams that he was a part of when he was director of basketball operations. You know, there have been several Hoosier Hysterics podcasts where some of the players from that era have talked about that. Um, and I think I don't see any reason why Calvert Cheney could not play a role in a successful Indiana basketball coaching staff. He's had some experience on different staffs. He's coached in the G League. He's, you know, working with the Pacers right now. He's got a wide variety of experience. Um, so it depends on who the head coach is. It depends on based on who the head coach is, what skills do you need from your assistants, that kind of thing. So I don't think that he's just a plug and play. He'd be perfect for every staff, but removing the the legend he was as a player, he's got some credentials as an assistant coach that I think would make him useful. Now, if you tell me you're just, you know, promoting him to head coach right away, I've made my thoughts clear on that. I struggle to see how that is a good idea. Um, but I would love to see Calvert be back as a part of Indiana basketball because I think he's got a lot to give. Um, <clears throat> what, if anything, can we learn from the fact that some current IU assistants are being asked to stay on temporarily? Is that normal? I don't really know how normal that is, that they stay on temporarily. Certainly not normal that they would be retained long term. What can we learn by it? I think what we can learn by it is that Scott Dolson's a good dude and Scott Dolson cares about the people that are kind of under his purview. You know, Tom Ostrom and Kenya Hunter and Cliff Marshall, those guys don't get $10 million buyouts, right? They have to go find other jobs. And so, you know, I think the ability to keep them on the payroll helps the transition for them. And I think it really helps the players. These are the guys that the players have relationships with during a very uncertain time. But it's not like time stops and then you know a new coach is named and you have all that time. I mean, this is important time for all these players. This is important time for Christian Lander as a young player to still be in the weight room, to still be developing his individual skills. And so if Indiana just doesn't have a coach and you're just leaving him off by himself, you know, that's not the deal that that you made with Christian Lander when he came here. And I don't mean deal like you know, in the nefarious way, but you know, he's coming here to be part of the Indiana basketball program and to have leadership from the coaches. And if not the coaches, the athletic department. And I think what Scott Dolson has done is make sure that the players have some leadership and have a connection. And I think that's great. <clears throat> I don't know if all athletic directors would do it, but I continue to be impressed with how Indiana athletics puts people first because people matter and you win with people. And the longer that that is a guiding philosophy of Indiana sports, I will continue to believe in it and believe that we will continue to win. This is what happened with Indiana football. It's all about people, and Indiana football is succeeding. You've got to be about people, and I think Scott Dolson is showing that he is. 
Pat asks, how prohibitive do you think Oates price is? Do you buy his initial denial? I actually don't buy any denials that any coaches make. Brad Stevens' denial was pretty <laughs> pretty firm. It sure feels like he made the mass hole comment and the Patriots comment as a way of being like, hey, look, Indiana fans, this is over. All right. It's I've appreciated the love, but I'm moving on. You should move on too. So I do pretty much believe that one. Um, but you know, there's all these there's examples of Nick Saban saying I'm not coaching Alabama and all that stuff. And you can always point to some of those. So do you buy Nate Oates' initial denial? I mean, for the most part, because I think usually when coaches are that definitive, you know, when they speak that strongly, it usually is suggestive that that's actually going to be the case. Plus, he just signed a new contract. There's a big buyout. You know, do you want to talk about whether Indiana should pay whatever it is, somewhere between 10 to $20 million for, for the hot young guy, Nate Oates? You know, if you were on Twitter last night, I was having some fun with it and saying, hey, I want to play with Nate Oates. Hey, scribble, you know, scribble the name Brad Stevens off the envelope and pass it to Nate Oates. I think he's going to be a great coach for a long time because he plays a, a really good style, can recruit. You know, he's an SEC coach, so there's questions about him like there are questions about everybody who succeeds in the SEC. You know, I that's what we do as as Big Ten fans, right? We 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 cast scorn upon successful SEC coaches. Sometimes it's legitimate, sometimes it's not. You know, I don't know about any of that stuff with him firsthand, secondhand, thirdhand. Um, but I think he's a great coach. I think he's going to win. And I certainly think it's a stone that Scott Dolson should overturn. Make him tell you no. Make him not return your call. But give him a call because style-wise, he's he has the looks of a young coach that could be really good for the next 20 to 25 years. Maybe he'll stick at Alabama. Maybe he'll leap to a bigger program. Uh, if he does like to want to leap to a bigger program, I'd like to be considered. And at least allow us to do our due diligence. Because here's the thing to remember. Nate Oates, Chris Beard, other coaches have succeeded where they are and it makes them very attractive to us because the success that they've had where they are is much better than the success that we have had here. But it's not always as simple as, okay, let's lift this coach up from here, put him here, and we're going to have 10% more success because we're Indiana and we have more resources and all that stuff. Fit really matters. And so that's one thing. you know, If Chris Beard is not the, the choice for Indiana, it doesn't necessarily mean that Chris Beard said no. You know, you might do your due diligence on Chris Beard and say, boy, you know what? Like, this guy is a really good coach, but he's probably a better fit at Texas Tech. You know, you might do your due diligence on Nate Oates and you say, boy, this guy, you know, he's he's really a, a shooting star right now. But I don't know that that's, you know, from how we want our basketball program to be run and all those things that it's the right fit. And I don't mean to just single those guys out. I mean, I mentioned earlier that I have some questions about each one of them. There's questions I have about a lot of guys. Scott Drew is kind of in the same boat. You know, people are talking about Kelvin Sampson here. Kelvin Sampson's in the same boat. That guy, from a coaching fit, was a perfect fit at Indiana. But there was stuff off the court that wasn't a perfect fit. And that stuff really matters. And, you know, so it's a it's a very complicated calculus that Scott Dolson has to make. And I just think we all need to remember that. It's so exciting to watch his NCAA tournament games and see Alabama just raining threes all over Maryland and fantasize about what that would look like in the cream of crimson. You know, and you're thinking back to Indiana UNLV in 1987. And it's like, my God, this style of play is incredible. Bring this guy over here. I just would caution you that it's more complicated than that. And we need to, again, as fans, just have the humility to allow for that. Let the process play out. Hear what case is made for the coach that is brought in and spend as much time looking at that coach's upside as we do you know, wallowing in their downside, right? And probably a lot more time in the upside because that's what we're going to be hoping comes true. So that's what I would say on that. Um, okay, a couple more 
uh, uh, questions here, and then I will need to go. If we had to hire a mid-major coach, who would be the best hire? <sighs> I don't know. I, actually, I don't know if I want to answer that only because I don't, I, don't, I don't know that I really know. I know a lot of people are talking about Porter Moser and stuff. I haven't studied the mid-major guys that much because those names haven't been bandied about. And a lot of times, it's very rare that you have a a hire that fails like the Archie Miller hire did and that you would do one that's that closely analogous. And I don't mean that Scott Dolson would just say, we're not hiring a mid-major guy. Um, I just think it would be really unexpected if that happened, and I don't know the mid-major landscape well enough to know. So I don't, I don't want to give an answer that I don't really have any basis for. Um, you know, those Loyola Chicago, that Loyola Chicago team did look good against Illinois. I have a lot of questions about how, you know, whether Porter Moser would be a good fit at Indiana. He's only made two NCAA tournaments in 20 years. Um, but the way his team played against Illinois was phenomenal. That was a well-coached team. Okay, let's end with this one. Um, okay, two more. One with two more here. From Caleb, who is the safest pick for our next head coach in your opinion? <clears throat> The safest pick for our next head coach is John Beeline. Um, and I hesitated to think about that, but I actually am not sure that's that controversial. It's not without its downside. I get it. Downside is he's older. What's the transition plan? Um, there were the reasons why he left uh, Cleveland, You know, both in terms of the things that were said and some of the personal issues that he's had going on in his life with his son. Um. And the fact that, you know, he didn't just step right into Michigan and start winning. Like, they struggled. Do you, you may recall the first couple of years of Archie Miller, we were using John Beeline's tenure at Michigan as an analog for, hey, sometimes this takes a little bit longer to get going. So he may, now, with the transfer portal, you know, maybe that can go. But, you know, John Beeline runs the kind of system that you want to have guys in there for three or four years. He's a demanding coach. Um, and part of the reason why his teams succeed is not just the style of play, it's the style of coaching. You know, you've probably all heard about, you know, like the first practices for Michigan, they're doing like basic bounce pass and chess passes. That's why we would joke on the show. It's like, good God, you know, after watching another just terrible pass turn into a pick six the other way for Indiana, it's like, can we get John Beeline in here as like a, just a passing fundamentals coordinator? So it would take some time, but if you're telling me, all right, three-year window, Who's going to be winning? Who's going to have us competing in the Big Ten in three years? You're betting your house on it. Who are you betting on? I really wouldn't want to take that bet, but I would take John Beeline. So I think he's the safest because he's done it in the conference. He's done it recently. There's a lot of reasons why he's a cultural fit for for Indiana, both for what Indiana wants and what Indiana needs. Like We'd appreciate his style of play, but he's also not going to put up... Like He's going to do things his way. If you've read profiles on John Beeline, he's going to do things his way. He's not going to be bullied by some fans into, <coughs> you know, into like keeping a certain tradition if he doesn't think it's still serving the program well, all that stuff. So, and I think, frankly, our fan base needs a little bit of that right now. We need someone who's going to take us by the scruff of the neck and be like, look, this is our plan. I've done it before at this level. It's going to work. Let's go. Get on board with me. I think we would all respond to that pretty well, assuming that the, that the, results came. So I think he's the safest. Doesn't mean he's my first choice, but I do think he's the safest. Uh, Jordan, here's our last question. Obviously, there have been names like Beard and Oates being thrown around, which are great options. In your opinion, what do you think would be the biggest draw appeal for someone like Chris Beard to actually leave Texas to come here? It's a great question. And 
you know, it's really it's been one of the biggest questions about Chris Beard. Like, why would he come to Indiana? He's he's already like one of the five or ten highest paid coaches in America at Texas Tech. They gave him a contract extension. Um, he's from Texas. He's got family there. You know, Lubbock is it's a good sports town, obviously, and they're you know pretty pretty crazy for their for their football team and support the basketball team well. But it's not Bloomington in terms of the fishbowl of pressure. So there are def- like it is not hard to paint a picture for why Chris Beard would stay at Texas Tech. He's got it good there. And it may well be that that is the perfect fit for him. He can do things that he wants. My guess is that Texas Tech's compliance department is not as <laughs> stringent as Indiana's compliance department, you know, for whatever that might matter to a coach. So there may be reasons for him to stay there. Why would he come? What's the biggest draw appeal? I mean, Jeff, put it well in the chat, you know, go back to the old Tom Crean line. Do I have that soundbite, actually? I might have that. Oh, I do. It's Indiana. It's Indiana. Yeah, it's Indiana. I mean, that's that's part of the reason why is Texas winning at Texas Tech is one thing. Winning at Indiana, I mean, it is a short list of programs where if you go and restore Indiana to national prominence and win a national title, where it would mean more than at Indiana because of the passion of the fan base. This is the double-edged sword of the Indiana fan passion, you know? It would mean a ton. You would be, you know, Galen often talks about how the Indiana head coaching position is like a like a, a religious leader position in Indiana. It sounds crazy. It makes us all sound insane, and it's probably true. You know, you are a cultural leader in the state of Indiana because of how much basketball means to the culture. And so, to someone who has a big ego, right? And I don't necessarily mean that in a pejorative sense, but you know, an ego that really drives them to be prideful in their work and to want to win at the highest level and to want to please the most people and who enjoys that adulation and enjoys that attention. Indiana really offers a lot because you get that super high upside of, man, if I win here, it is going to be special to so many people, but also, and they have resources and they're going to, you know, probably give me what I need to win and they're clearly committed to it and they're hungry to it. And you know, I can recruit a certain guy at Texas Tech and sustain a certain level of success, but if I get Indiana humming and we can match present success with past tradition and this crazy fan support, I mean, we've all been beaten down so much with the with the failures of Indiana basketball over the last 20 years. You get the right guy in here, there is no reason Indiana can't be Kansas, can't be North Carolina, can't be Virginia, can't be Villanova and be in the top 10 winning with a good recruiting base, you know, pulling recruits nationally, it's just about getting the right guy. And so the right coach is going to see that and be like, my ceiling here is one thing. At Indiana, my ceiling is up here. And that to me, that's the picture that you're trying to paint. Now, you know, in any sales job, you have to know who you're talking to. And so, you know, to, to certain people, you know, that might not be the way to sell them because they may not want that. Chris Beard strikes me as a guy that would love that. Now, is it enough to get him to leave Texas Tech? I don't know, because he's got a good thing going at Texas Tech. If he was at a different like if he was still at, you know, Arkansas Little Rock, it'd be a no-brainer, right? You know, you just have kind of the Texas, the Southwest thing. But that that's the thing is, you know, that's the draw or the appeal. You know, to a guy like John Beeline, I think the draw or the appeal is, hey, this is this is still one of the best jobs. If you want to be able to win quickly and at a high level 
in your you know final years as a coach, you can come here with what resources Indiana has, and and there aren't many places where you're going to be able to win quicker, depending on how long you can get your your system in. And you're back in the Big Ten where you know the coaches, you know the landscape. This is going to be comfortable for you. And hey, maybe you get a chance to go, you know, beat Juwan Howard, and you know, just kind of remind everybody that uh, you know you laid a pretty good foundation there while while Juwan Howard's getting all the plaudits. I don't know John Beeline, so I don't really know. This is where I think for Scott Dolson, it's so important to really do his research on who these guys are and know what the sales pitch has to be to that individual guy, because you can Indiana has a lot of things going for it, and you can accentuate and minimize certain things depending on who the guy is. You know, and then once they get here, it's like with recruits when you're trying to sell a recruit on a place. You know, now expectation meets reality, and let's see what we have. And you don't want, a, you know, a Scott Dolson. You don't want to misrepresent anything, and then get a guy in here who's a bad fit. We just saw a guy that's that isn't a great fit for the program. So we want to make sure that we get the best fit. But if you've zeroed in on a guy and you're like, I believe that guy could work here, you know. Now you've got to really accentuate what Indiana has going for it, and Indiana still has a lot going for it. A lot going for it. We got to remember that, you know. I don't want to say it, but I will. If Kelvin Sampson was still here, we'd be winning a lot of games, right? You know, it's not it's not just because there's like something about Indiana that we're not winning. It, not that we don't have to reflect on things. Like as fans, we have to be better. There are parts of the tradition that need to be modernized. Like some of those things are true. Those things aren't the things that have kept us from winning, though. They may be things that can help at the margins. The things that have kept us from winning is we just we hired two coaches that had good elements to them, and it made sense in some ways, but in some fundamental ways, it proved not to make sense. It's hard. It, it's a hard job. You know, hiring is difficult. People are difficult and complicated. Uprooting someone from a situation where they're comfortable and winning and placing them into a new high-pressure situation is hard. You don't know how someone's going to respond to that. And so that's why the final thing that I'll say today is just a reiteration of my first message. Let's have some humility about this and let's recognize how difficult the job it is for Scott Dolson and how little we all know about what is what works and what doesn't work in the hiring process. No one, no, <laughs> you know, Archie Miller and Tom Allen were hired pretty similar times. If you had gone around to Indiana fans, to national media, anybody, and said, who's more likely to succeed in their role, Archie Miller or Tom Allen? What percentage of people would have said Archie Miller? 95%, 100%, and it's not even close. Tom Allen proved to be the perfect choice, and none of us could really see it at the time, and maybe Fred Glass didn't realize he was this perfect of a choice, but he recognized in someone and had the imagination to say, hey, I haven't seen this guy do it, but I think he can do it, and he's done it. You know, We saw Archie Miller do it somewhere, and then he gets to Indiana, and we didn't even see the same style of play that he played at Dayton, let alone know that his system at Dayton didn't work here. Uh, you know, you just don't know with these things. So Scott Dolson's being really deliberative. He's got a lot of resources to make the right hire. He's taking his time. I think he should. And I'm really looking forward to seeing who he hires because I still, I continue to believe we're going to get a candidate that's a, a really, really good choice and someone. All these candidates are going to have downside. Every coaching hire has downside. But I think whoever we get, it's going to be someone that when you start looking at the upside for it and you start laying out the case for why this can work, we're going to be like, okay, all right. 
and then we're just going to have to see if it does. But I, I feel good about. I still feel good about where this is going. Brad Stevens or not, <laughs> it was always a pipe dream. I still feel good about where it was going. I hope you guys share that enthusiasm. And even if you don't, then at least try to share the caution. And the caution to not knee jerk. And if you're going to knee jerk, you know, do it in a text message to a friend. You know, don't don't put knee jerk negatives out there in public. It doesn't do anything good for anybody. Doesn't mean that it might not be valid. It doesn't mean that it's not a worthy point, and it doesn't mean that you can't point out negatives and have a discussion about them. But when you ignore the positives and you just focus on the negatives and you kind of present your argument like there's no wiggle room between your negative opinion and possible upside or positivity, you're not you're trying to score social media points, but you're not trying to engage in a discussion or support the program. And I just feel like that's what we should all be doing. I love having conversations in public with fans. It's great going back and forth about stuff, you know, and but let's make sure that it's a dialogue and let's try to make sure that it's in the spirit of supporting the program as much as it's in the spirit of supporting a point of view. And if we do that, then I think some of these narratives about Indiana fans cannibalizing their program and some of this other stuff, which has some merit to it, not full merit, but has some merit to it, that's going to start to dissipate. What will really make it dissipate is if we win. <laughs> that's going to be more important than anything. So, you know, let's let's make sure that we win. Um, let's use our ability to put our, our opinions out there in public responsibly. And let's just, let's see who this guy is and let's rally together and do whatever we can to make sure he is given the best chance for success possible. With that, I will just say good luck to the women's basketball team. They play tomorrow. I think tomorrow we're talking on Tuesday, Wednesday is tomorrow. Sorry. I'm losing all track of days. Uh, I believe they play at five o'clock Eastern time. Look forward to watching them play. And uh, we will be back Thursday night. I don't know if I'll be there Thursday night. That's part of the reason why I wanted to do this show now because um, I had stuff I wanted to say and I wanted to get a chance to to talk with you guys. Um, if I can't be on the show Thursday night, uh, yeah, playing, as as already said, 5 o'clock, ESPNU, Belmont. Um, watch that. And then just my last, uh, the last thing I'm going to mention here is uh, our private community. The discussions in there have been awesome. I'm, I continue to be so proud of the group that we've uh, that we've brought together there such insightful stuff. I learned so much from the people who are in that community and some of the points they make, and they make me think about things in a different way than I've been thinking about them. Um, you know, Jeff and Kathy, who you've heard on this show, they're in there. A lot of other people are in there. If you go to assemblycall.com slash community, you know, if you've never been a part of an IU basketball community and you want to join one, we'd love to have you in there. It's $3.99 a month or it's 25 bucks for the full year. Uh, you know, we're not insiders. You're not going to get like insider tidbits on recruiting and stuff. It's just a place to go like hang out with fellow IU fans and have good conversations. Um, you know, but if you've never been a part of a community or you're part of one and not happy with kind of the, the tone and tenor of the way things are discussed, give ours a try. Assemblycall.com slash community. If you pay for it and you're like, eh, I don't, you know, where, where's my insider information? Where's the other stuff? You know, this isn't for me. Then we'll refund your money. It's not a big deal. But we'd love to have you come check it out. Assemblycall.com slash community. All right, everybody. Have a good Tuesday, a great Wednesday. We will talk to you Thursday night, you know, unless news breaks between now and then, and we'll try to go live as soon as we can. Uh, otherwise, talk to you Thursday, and uh, keep your elbows in, your eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. 
So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes. Email alerts. A string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.